Well, good morning, New Community Church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? It's good to see all of you here. And if you're our guest, once again, we want to just say thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Or if you're watching online for the first time, thank you for being here. My name is Aaron, if I haven't met you yet. And I am the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we are a church that's passionate about making people and places new. And we hope you see that while you're here with us this morning. And before we jump into the message today, the art of neighboring, I want to just encourage you again, Easter is coming up. And I know Easter Sunday is probably going to be crazy if you have kids getting them ready or putting the lunch in, whatever you have to do. But make sure you are here early next week. We have some great elements that our team has been working on, and you're not going to want to miss any part of the worship experience. So get here a little bit early. Coffee and donuts will be out. You can grab some of those. Talk to people that are here early, and you'll be ready when service starts because you're not going to want to miss as we worship together next week. Well, we've been in this series called The Art of Neighboring. We've spent the past few weeks talking about this idea that we're constantly in contact with so many people, it seems like, with technology and with social media, all of these things, and yet we can be isolated from those that we live the closest to and those that God has placed right next to us. And so we've been asking this question, how do we become a good neighbor? How do we know and love and serve our neighbor? And so this idea that we want to be better neighbors, we want to fulfill what God said. And so I want to start today by inviting another amazing couple to the stage. If you would put your hands together for Peter and Isabel Ramiro. And Peter and Isabel, I know you guys, but everyone else may not know you. So maybe take a moment, introduce yourself. Tell us how long you've lived here and a little bit about yourself. Hello, everyone. I'm Isabel, and um, I've been married to this man for 15 years, and this is Peter. And um, we've been here in Nancy for over two years already, and um, I have, we have five beautiful kids. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so just, just a little bit more about us, you guys. Um, so we're an Army family that God brought here to Mesquite, so we're happy to be here. Um, yeah, it's been over about... A little over two years, and we're here. Yeah, and I love your story because God's opened up a unique opportunity to get to know people in your own neighborhood, but also in, in the community of Mesquite. So maybe take a moment and just share a little bit about your story and what God's done. All right, so it actually all started off here at NCC where, um, you know, coming here, you start meeting people, and, and uh, you know, everybody has different gifts you know you, you use what you, God has given you right and for some reason I mean the army kind of like knowing people are like hey do you work out I'm like yeah we work out Pastor Spencer uh, who was here he actually started working out with me he was the first one to start working out at my house uh, he was like I got a wedding to get ready for could you help me <laughs> out I was like roger that let's do this and then from there it is just it just expanded you know um and it started from one person two and three and then friends started inviting friends and cousins and people were at my house uh, that I never met before. And, you know, before you realize it, it was a big group. Yeah. And then you'd said, you know, first service, like, hey, we kind of outgrew our home. Like we outgrew the garage that we were in. And so God's, you know, opened up the opportunity. You guys meet here now at the church. And so people come here and work out with you. But Peter, I also know the impact that that has had. And so maybe take a moment and just share that impact as you guys have opened up your lives and reached out to other people. Right. So, like I said before, um, God does work in mysterious ways, and 
we outgrew the garage, got kicked out of the area because we had too many kids and people <laughs> there. And, and we just took it onto the park and then God opened up the door here. But you never, you never know what God can do through you. You know, at first it started off just as an initial, this is just a workout, we're training, helping people get healthy, right? And for a whole year just doing that. And then, I mean, during that process, people started opening up about depression and, and, and suicidal things. And, you know, just, it was, it was intense. It was like, whoa, Lord, you know, what do you got, what's going on here? I don't know if I want to step into that, right? But you realize that this is like a ministry. Mm -hmm. I realized, we realized that this is a ministry and people, you know, we have an opportunity to do something and impact our community. And we, we just grew from there and went head on like into it. Yeah, and I love that. Can we give them a hand? Thank you guys so much for sharing your story this morning. And it just, it started right there in their own neighborhood, just reaching out to people, using the gifts that God had placed in their life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is just serving by using what God has placed right in our hands. And, you know, we started this series just by saying, what if we got to know our neighbors? And what if we just heard the stories of the people that live around us that God has placed right there in our lives. We got to know their names and what's going on in their life. Last week, we continued this conversation by talking about how do we love our neighbor? What does that mean when God's word challenges us with that, that greatest commandment to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves? And we need to live that out. And so last week, if you were here, you know that we talked about, hey, we've got to love people even if they're frustrating, like God doesn't give us an out. If people are difficult to love, we still have to love them and even loving people that hate us. And we walked through the story of the Good Samaritan and looked at how Jesus challenges us to stand against injustice, that we're to love everyone, no matter where they're from or who they are. And so that challenge as a church that, that we stand up against the injustice that we see. And so today we're going to kind of conclude this series by talking about how do we serve our neighbors? What would it look like if we were a church that was loving and serving the people that God had placed around us? How would our community look different? And so we're going to continue by looking at this story again of the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bibles, turn this morning to Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. That's where we're going to start at. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you, maybe one or two seats over, but just open up that blue book. You can turn to page 507. And in case you're tempted, like, I've already heard this story a couple of times, go ahead and open it up because God may show you something new as we walk through this. And so we're looking at this story. You may be familiar with this. You may have heard this story before, but talking about there's a religious individual in this story. There's Jesus. There's the crowd of people. And then there is a Samaritan who's hated by the Jewish people. The nation of Samaria was hated and the Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. And they're a part of this story that we read. And so Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says this. Behold, a lawyer, this was one of the religious people, stood up to put Jesus to the test. And he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now, by chance, a priest was going down that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And a Levite, as well as he was going by, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he sent him on his, set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The lawyer answered, The one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. So what's happening in this story here? As I mentioned, you may be familiar with this. Even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you've not been around church a lot, this story is pretty well known. There was an individual that's traveling and he's, um, he's fell upon by robbers. Like they beat him up. They leave him there half dead. And then there are a number of other people that come by. There's a Levite who passes by. And this Levite is a person who served in the temple of God. And so his job is, as the people would come to the temple to worship God, they would offer sacrifices. The Levite would make sure everything was good on the altar. He was kind of a mediator between God and, and the people. He served in the temple of God. And as part of that, there were certain things that he was allowed and not allowed to do. So he couldn't touch someone that was dead or he couldn't touch someone that was bleeding or that was hurting, or he would have to go through all of these ceremonial rituals. And that's where this Levite finds himself for whatever reason, whether he's going or coming back from the temple, he excuses himself from the man that is beaten and lying there on the ground. And he comes up with this reason, whether it will take a number more days, he'll have to go through all of these kind of washings and these rituals if he stops and helps this man. And so he gives himself the way out. He makes an excuse why he cannot tend to the man that is beat, beaten and bleeding there on the ground. And then also a priest walks by. And the priest, once again, someone that worshiped in the temple of God, someone that led the people of God, gives himself a reason. He may have been traveling back home to his family. He hasn't seen them in a few days. And he knows this is an inconvenience. This is going to take up time. It's going to take resources. And once again, he excuses himself. And in this story, it's the unlikely hero. It's the person that the Jewish people hated that actually shows compassion to the man that is in trouble, to the man that is bleeding and beaten on the ground. He's the one who stops and, and he shows compassion. He begins to heal his wounds and binds up his wounds and then places him on the animal. And as I thought about this story, I want us to focus on the last part of this story, what actually happens and what it looks like to serve our neighbor. This Samaritan did something very simple. He saw the need there in front of him. He didn't make an excuse. He filled the need. He saw the need and he filled the need. And that's what it means for us to be a good neighbor. That's what it means for us to serve our neighbors. Those that God has placed around us is that whenever we see a need, we feel the need. We don't make excuses. We don't give reasons for why we can't. We don't give ourselves a way out, but we minister. We're moved by compassion to meet the needs of those that God has placed around us. And like the Levite and the priest, we're really good, you guys, at coming up with excuses. And we can see the needs in our own community. We can look around Mesquite and we can say, man, there is a lot of poverty in this area. You know what? Nonprofits need to do a better job. Why don't churches do something? The church 
needs to do something, and you're exactly right. We're the church. Church is not a building, you guys. It's not just a large organization. We as individuals, we are the church. We need to do something. God is calling each and every one of us this greatest commandment to love our neighbor, and that means we serve those that we find in need. We're not waiting for a government program. We're not waiting for some outside organization. We're not making excuses like, hey, it's their job. No, it's each of our responsibility to fulfill this commandment that God has given us. You love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Samaritan did. That's how he showed compassion. He met the need of the man that was right there in front of him. You see a need, you feel a need. It's each of our responsibilities to do that. I can remember whenever 9-11 happened. You may remember where you were at. I was in the country of Argentina at the time. So I was overseas. It was a unique experience to kind of witness that from an outsider's, a different cultural perspective. And we were flying back into the United States. And as you can imagine, planes were grounded. It took a a long time before we were actually able to fly back in. And I remember being on the plane, flying back in after this had taken place. And I had flown a number of times before and a number of times after. Everyone is kind of on edge. And we're making the last leg of our flight from Atlanta to St. Louis. That was the airport closest to where we were at, to where I lived at. And the pilot came on and did his normal introductions. And then he said something that I've never heard a pilot say before. He challenged us and he said, hey, passengers, I want you to do this. Look at the person to your left. Look at the person to your right. Look at the person sitting in front of you, behind you. If you don't know them, ask them their name. And then he said, I want you to ask them why they're flying, what they do, where they live at. Find out a little bit about them, get to know them. And he challenged us, you know what? We're trying to do what we can as an airline to keep you safe. The government's trying to do what they can to keep you safe, but it's each of our responsibilities. And so he said, if you're a passenger on this flight and you see something that looks a little off, you see something that's wrong, you need to do something about it. You need to report that. You need to take action. Never heard that before on a flight, but that stuck with me. And I thought about this. Whenever we see a need, we need to fill that need. We need to be moved into action, not waiting for someone else, not waiting for someone else to take a response. It's each of our responsibility. And we can fall in this dangerous mindset, church. Someone else will do it, right? Someone else will see that need. How different would the story have been? The Samaritan, he could have made excuses. He could have given reasons why he could not stop, why he could not help this individual, but he chooses to live out this life of compassion. And because of that, this man is saved. And you and I, we each have that same responsibility to say, God, are we going to see that need and fulfill that need? Are we going to do something about that? Are we going to make excuses? It's someone else's job. You guys have probably seen these on the internet, right? Not my job. This ladder that's there, that's being put in there when they built the house, it just gets built. The house gets built around it because it wasn't someone's job to take it down. You guys can see that there. What about this next one? Not going to stop and move the log. I'll just go around it, right? It's not my job. Someone else's responsibility. This next one is the winner. It's my favorite. You guys have probably seen this. Just right over the dead animal there. And we can have that mindset, you guys, like we can actually take that into our everyday life of, hey, this is someone else's responsibility, right? Someone else should have done this. I can't be bothered. And we live with these excuses in our life. Instead of seeing a need and fulfilling a need, we see it as an obstacle in our way. 
And we're looking for different things to kind of excuse ourselves out of actually ministering to the people that God has placed close around us, to those that are broken, to those that are hurting. How different would our city look if we weren't waiting for the government, if we weren't waiting for some outside organization, but we took it upon ourselves to meet the needs that we see all around us, that we pass by every day, and that we show compassion just as the Samaritan did, that we show this heart of mercy to people that are hurting all around us. The question is, are we going to be that kind of neighbor? Are we going to serve those that live close to us? Are we going to feel that responsibility in our life that we see a need and so we fulfill that need? We meet that need. The next thing that I want to point out as I was reading through this story that I want to challenge you with is you can't do everything, but you can do something. You can't do everything, but you can do something. The Samaritan could not meet every need that he came across. He's human. He's just like you and me. And so there is a limited amount of resources that we have. There's a limited amount of time. There's a limited amount of giftings of what we're actually able to do. And yet the Samaritan, as he's leaving Jerusalem and Jericho, he would have passed by people that were begging there in the city. You read that in the gospels that there were blind, lame um, individuals there that could not work for their own living, and so they would beg money, they'd beg for food for people that were leaving, and he probably had to pass some of them by and, and maybe wasn't able to meet every need. We know that. But he could do something. And when God spoke in that moment when his heart is moved to compassion, he chooses to act. And the dangerous thing is we can see the need around us. It can become so overwhelming that we become paralyzed by fear. We become numb, right? We've seen too many Facebook ads. We've seen too many TV commercials. It's all around us, and we think it's just so much. It's just so much. How do I respond? Where do I even start? And so we don't even move into action. And while we can't do everything, church, we can do something. I remember a story that I heard told by a famous Christian speaker, Ravi Zacharias, and he shared the story of a young woman who moved to New York City and just entered a devastating time in her life as she's trying to make her way and, and get a career in the city. One night in her small apartment, someone breaks in and assaults her physically and sexually. Because of that, she becomes pregnant and, and she's now carrying this baby that was not planned, that's in this devastating kind of crisis moment. She gets a dog, a large dog, because she's trying to protect herself and she's living in constant fear. And the time comes where she's going to have the baby, she goes to the hospital. She gives birth. And after a day, the hospital is getting ready to send her home and she's begging them, please don't send me home. The government assistance that I'm relying on doesn't come for another day or two. I don't have diapers. I don't have food for my baby. I have nothing except a few dollars for the cab ride home. Please don't send me home. Please don't send me home. Let me stay here for a few more days. And they said, no, it's too crowded. And they dismissed her from the hospital. The taxi driver overcharged her on the way home. She gave her last few dollars for that. And so she sat at home listening to her newborn baby crying. And after those few days, she heads out in a, in a bad decision. She leaves the baby there. She runs out real quick to get formula, to get diapers, because the government assistance has come in. And when she arrives back at home, her dog has viciously attacked her newborn and ended this baby's life. And in this New York court case, they're trying to figure out who's at fault in that situation. 
How can so much go wrong in one person's life and no one is there? Was it this mother's decision, this moment of making a poor judgment call in which her child's life is ended? Is it the hospital? Are they at fault for dismissing this woman when she's begging and pleading? Where was the social worker, the person that should have been there to provide more aid, to provide assistance when she found herself in this moment of crisis? Where was everyone at in this woman's life? And this councilman at the end of this case stood up and this is the quote that he gave to the newspapers. He said, life is too busy and too complicated for me to hear the cry of every person in the city of New York. As a matter of fact, I struggle to find time to hear the cries of my own family. I could not listen to the cries of everyone in the city. You may as well ask me to listen to the sound of every blade of grass growing the heartbeat of every animal in the city, the noise would be deafening on the other side of silence. What's the councilman saying there? He's saying it's too much. And so I've chosen just to ignore it all. There's too much going on. There's so many cries. There, there's so much happening. How could we possibly listen to all of the devastation, to all of the crisis that's going on? And so I've just tuned it all out. I live my life in silence instead. In church, we can respond in a similar way, realizing there's so much happening and we can't do everything. Many times we choose to do nothing. Instead of thinking, hey, I can't do everything, but I can do something, we're, we're immobilized into inaction and we just sit back and we see the needs around us and yet we choose not to respond. Church, I wanna challenge you, you can't do everything. You may not even be able to meet every need, but when God's spirit speaks, when you feel that movement of compassion, you had better do something. See, this is the greatest commandment that God gives us to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Church, we have to be moved to action. And it's difficult. The time that we live in, we can have those mindsets that, you know what, someone's just going to take advantage. If I help this person, I don't know what they're going to end up doing with the money. I don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to spend what I give them. That's not our decision, you guys. When God asks us to move out of our comfort zone, we have to respond in obedience. We have to make sure that our heart isn't hardened whenever God is moving us towards compassion. We all have this struggle. I have this struggle. We have so many people that come to the church and, and they're asking for help. And I remember just a few months ago, I walked up on a regular work day and there was a young lady sleeping under the awning right outside of the front doors. She had just crashed there for the night. And as I walked up, I asked her how we could help, what we could do. And she said, you know what? I'm, I'm just gonna walk off. I, I live close here. And I'm just gonna go. And so she took off. I didn't see what direction she went in, but Pastor Caleb went out later that day and she was sleeping by the dumpsters out here, just asleep out there on the floor, on the concrete right out there. And so Sarah and I, we went and we, we talked with her again. Hey, we want to help you. We made some phone calls and, and I just felt like, you know what? I can't do this for everyone, but I, I felt moved to compassion. Hey, I need to do something. Church, I would love to tell you, hey, she's sitting here in the audience today, but that's not how that story ended. Actually, she took off running in the streets of Dallas as we were trying to help her. She didn't want to receive the help that we were giving. And, and I could think, you know what, that's how it's always going to be, but I cannot let my heart get hardened. Church, you can't let your heart get hardened. When God is speaking, when you feel that thing, you may not know how to describe that, but when you feel that tug of God, I've got to do something, you and I, we as a church, we have to respond 
in obedience. You may not be able to do everything, but when God speaks church, you better do something. This is how we serve. This is how we love our neighbor. This is how we fulfill what it is that God is speaking into our life. And we can make excuses. I'm too busy, too much going on. And we, like the Levite and the priest, can walk back past people that are hurting, that are broken, and that desperately need to experience the love of God. Let me close with this thought right here. The last thing that I saw, it says this, he went to the man that was broken and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to the inn and he took care of him. What did the Samaritan do when he served his neighbor? How did he prove that he was someone who loved his neighbor? He used what he had. And that's what we're called to do. Use what you have, church. What's right there in your own hands. It may seem a little weird to us, like he's pouring wine. Why didn't he let the guy drink it, right? He's suffering, but he pours wine on the guy and it's actually medicinal. He pours oil, not talking about Crisco or vegetable oil or butter, okay? It's this healing oil. He puts it on the guy's wounds and he binds them up, right? He provides healing to this man that is hurting. And he simply uses what he has right there with him. And then he sets him on his own animal and he takes him to an end. And whether you realize it or not, you have gifts in your life. You have things that God has placed inside of you that are unique. They're different than the person sitting next to you. They're different than the people that live around you. They're unique and God has placed gifts inside of your life. And the question is, will you use what you have? Will you use what God has placed inside of you to serve and to meet the needs that are always surrounding you? We talked about this a few weeks ago, but there are spiritual gifts that God has placed in our life. Some of you, you're gifted at hospitality, inviting people over, asking people to come, cooking meals. Some of you make amazingly delicious food. And how would your neighborhood look different when that elderly person who's just come home from having surgery the young family that's just had a new baby, if you would say, God, what I have, I'm gonna use it. And you cooked them a meal. You connected, you knew what was going on in your neighborhood and you said, hey, I'm going to reach out and I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna use this gift of hospitality, this gift of cooking, and I'm gonna make an impact. Guys, some of you are amazing grillers, okay? You can barbecue. I'm waiting for you to invite me over so I can taste some of your amazing food. But you're good at that. And what if you just said, hey, we're going to have a few other families that live in the same area that we do, that live on our street, and we're going to invite them over, and I'm going to use what it is that I have. Some of you, your spiritual gift is you're good at encouraging people, and you don't know the difference that it'll make when you write that card, someone that's going through a difficult time and saying, hey, I'm here for you, I'm praying for you. Hey, God's thinking about you. What about the family that's always playing in the front yard and you just write that parent a note, hey, I see how you love your kids and that's so amazing. You're making a difference in their life. You can encourage others. See, God has placed gifts inside of each and every one of us and so many times we just hold them in for ourselves instead of using them to minister to others. Church, you have something in your life. You have something that God has placed inside of you. And the dangerous thing is that we would become neighbors that are just so focused in on ourselves that we walk past people that are hurting and broken and they never experience healing and the love of Christ because we're too busy. Because it's too easy to make excuses. Because our life is so difficult or there's so much going on 
that we forget that we're called to know and to love and to serve our neighbor. And that's what God is challenging us with. That's the kind of church that we want to be, is a church that's reaching out and that's loving the people that God has placed close around us. 